want to begin today's message by sharing some thoughts uh, from a very famous author whose name is Helen Keller. Many of, many of you have probably heard of Helen Keller. Uh, she was an incredible author, but she was also an activist and a key advocate for people with disabilities. Part of the reason for that is that when she was 19 months old, she contracted a very serious illness, and the result of that illness was that she was left both blind and deaf for all of the rest of her life. And yet she went on to have an incredible impact and uh, has made some huge changes around the world. One of the things that she wrote, or one of the essays that she wrote, was a short essay that was called Three Days to See. And in it, she talks about what she would do if she was given her eyesight back just for three days. And it's really, really interesting because she doesn't talk in this essay and nor did she make a choice to say that she wanted her eyesight back permanently. In fact, she makes a specific comment in the essay that she knows that there would be lots of other things she'd love to see after the three days were up. But she says she would have no regrets because her mind would be so overcrowded with glorious memories just from those three days that she would be content. So, what does she say in this essay that she would love to see? Well, on the first day, she says that she would start by wanting to see the faces of the people who have had an impact on her life. She says she would love to be able to memorise what they look like and to be able to look deeply into their eyes and remember these people who have impacted her so much. She says that she would love to look into the face of a baby because she knows that there she would be able to see pure innocence represented. She says that she would love to look into the eyes of her loyal, trusting dogs. And any of you who've had dogs know what those loyal, trusting eyes look like. And then she says at the end of that day, she would like to be able to see her home, to be able to see the things that make it her home, to be able to see the warm colours of the rugs and to be able to see the pictures that hang on the walls. The second day, she says that she would like to go and visit a museum and an art gallery to look at what she calls the kaleidoscope of the ages, which is an amazing phrase to just think about. That's what museums and art galleries are, this ability for us to be able to see all of the things that have happened through history and to be able to gaze on all of the art that has been created. She then says at night she would either go and see a movie or she would go to the theatre to be able to enjoy that. And then on the third day, she says that she would venture into New York City. She lived just outside of New York City on Long Island and says that she would love to go into the city and to be able to spend a day there to just experience what normal life is like, to be able to experience the hustle and bustle of the city. And that's it. That's what she says she would do with her three days. And a big part of the reason why she wrote the essay, that she talks about through the essay, is because she wants to challenge those who do have eyesight about how much we take things for granted. In particular, she talks about having a conversation with one of her friends who went for a walk in the forest for an hour and came back and she said, what did you see? And her friend's response was, oh, not much. And she couldn't believe it, how easy it is for us who have sight to take for granted what's in front of us. She challenges us to not miss the things that are right there that we often take for granted and to make sure that we live life to the fullest. We're doing this series that is called Road Trip, where we're taking this time leading up to Easter to go on a journey together and to be able to look at a number of interactions of different things that occur on the road. 
It's an opportunity for us to build our sense of anticipation, our sense of expectation about what we're going to focus on when we get to Easter, to build our sense of connection and our sense of dependence on God. Last week, we talked about the first of these stories where we looked at Jesus taking the road out into the desert and what it looked like for him to make the decision to depend on God instead of depending on himself. Today, we pick up Jesus' journey towards the end of his life as he begins to make his way into Jerusalem. So this is now three years later. Last week, we talked about what happened right at the very beginning of Jesus starting his public ministry at 30 years old. Three years later, he has now spent all of this time helping people to understand why he came, helping people to understand what God is all about, what God's love looks like when it's got human flesh on it. He's been teaching people, healing people, spending time investing in his disciples. And now he has turned his face towards Jerusalem, where he knows that he's going to go through the events that we will unpack as we head towards Easter week. All of that is actually going to unfold in the next week for him from when these things that we look at today look like. And it's really, really important for us to recognize that. Jesus knew that that's where he was going. He knew that the cross was about a week away. He knew that he was facing the end of his life and all of the stuff that was going to come. And yet, as we'll see, as we look at this passage, Jesus is still able to take the time to be present and to be focused on the needs of the people around him, meeting them where they're at. So Mark 10 verse 46 says they, and the they is Jesus and a whole big group of people who are all following Jesus together. They came to Jericho and as Jesus was leaving with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. So as I said, it's about a week until the events of Easter are about to unfold. But those events occur at a time that's called the Passover which is a really, really significant time for Jewish people, where a lot of people end up going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. So there are lots and lots of people that are on this same road heading into Jerusalem. They're excited, they're looking forward to this big celebration that's coming up. It probably meant that there was also lots and lots of people lining the sides of, road, of the road, lots of other people who were begging and looking for help. They would have known that this is the time of the year when there's lots and lots of people who are going on this journey to Jerusalem. And so this is a great opportunity to be able to ask for some assistance, whether that's financial or food or whatever people might be able to help out with. There's also lots of people who are following Jesus. As I said, it's been three years now and Jesus has been building quite a following. And so there's a huge number of people, not just his 12 disciples, but a huge crowd that are all following Jesus and they're all on this road to Jerusalem as well. As a part of all of that, the dynamic that's kicking in, as we've talked about before, is this expectation that Jesus is the Messiah, this building expectation that Jesus is the one who's going to come and overthrow the Roman government and finally kick them out of power and put the Israelites back on the map. And so as they head towards Jerusalem, there would have been this kind of murmuring and this excitement. Oh, maybe this is the time when Jesus is going to come and he's going to take down the Romans. This is really, really great. We're heading in the right direction. In the midst of all of that activity, we read about this one specific person, a man named Bartimaeus who was blind and who was sitting by the road. Verse 47, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth going past, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Now, it's obvious that Bartimaeus would have heard about this man, Jesus. He's probably heard about the miracles that Jesus has been doing and the ways in which Jesus is connected with so many people around him, particularly those who were struggling and those on the fringes. And it's interesting that Bartimaeus doesn't ask for anything particular from Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, have you got any spare change? He doesn't say, Jesus, have you got some food? He doesn't even say, Jesus, will you heal me? He says... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that phrase, son of David, is again tapping into this understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, the rescuer, the saviour. David, King David from the Old Testament, this amazing king who had really put Israel on the map. It was an understanding that this Messiah who was going to come was a new David, the son of David. And so Bartimaeus is indicating that he believes Jesus is this person. But he then says, have mercy on me. On me. Now, mercy is a word that can be described simply as putting ourselves into someone else's shoes and then treating them the way we would want to be treated if we were them. So, stopping long enough to think about what is life like for this person who's in front of me, and if I was them, how would I want to be treated? Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, put yourself into my shoes and then treat me the way that you would want to be treated if you were me. Verse 46, many, verse 48, sorry, need to get my glasses organised. Many of the people scolded him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. So this massive crowd of people, remember, that's all around, are saying, Bartimaeus, like, just pipe down, would you? Jesus has got far more important things to do and far more important people to spend time with than you. So just keep quiet, would you? Keep out of the way. He's got no interest in you. But Bartimaeus doesn't care. In fact, he just gets louder. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's this beautiful expression of passion and dependence on Jesus that Bartimaeus has. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He just wants to connect with Jesus. So in verse 49, Jesus stops and he says, call him. And so the crowd called to the blind man, cheer up, they said, get up, he's calling you. So Jesus says, call Bartimaeus over and don't miss what's going on here. Again, you might want to picture the scene. You might even want to close your eyes and imagine what this looks like. There are people everywhere, not just a small crowd of people. There are probably thousands of people that are all on this journey. The people who are heading to the Passover, the people who are following Jesus. There are people everywhere shouting, people moving, jostling, this sense of excitement about what's coming up, this sense of excitement about what Jesus may or may not be about to do. There's all of these beggars who are along the side of the road. All of them are probably yelling and trying to attract attention as well. The amount of noise would have been staggering. And in the midst of that, we have Jesus who knows the journey that he is on as well. And so you can imagine that inside of Jesus' head, there was probably a fair bit of noise going on as well. Knowing what's coming in the next week, knowing that the crowd is going to turn on him, knowing that his closest friends are going to turn on him, knowing that he's going to be beaten, that he's going to go to the cross. Jesus knows all of that is coming in the midst of all of this noise that's going on and yet he's able to stop and to be present and to be able to be focused and hear this voice 
calling out to him, to hear Bartimaeus and to sense his desire to connect with him. And this is a really important thing for us to recognise, that Jesus is never too busy. Jesus is never too distracted. Jesus never has more important priorities that mean that he doesn't care what's happening for us. He is always able to be present and focused and to know what's going on and to meet us where we're at. So he says to the crowd, call Bartimaeus over. Let him come here to me. I want to talk to him. So the crowd, as fickle as they are, turn from saying, Bartimaeus, be quiet. No one wants to hear what you've got to say, to saying, cheer up, which I find very amusing because part of the reason he probably needed to cheer up was because all these people were screaming at him. But anyway, cheer up. Get up. He's calling to you. Isn't that great? Jesus wants to talk to you, Bartimaeus. Come on, up you get. So in verse 50, Bartimaeus throws off his cloak. He jumps up and he comes to Jesus. He's so excited about that. But there's something really significant going on here as well. For someone who was a beggar, a cloak wasn't just a garment that they wore. The cloak was what they would lie on the ground, that people would put their money and the things that they were giving to the beggar too. And so Bartimaeus is effectively saying, by throwing that away, I'm giving up this life. I don't have to keep begging anymore. I don't have to worry about this. I can throw this thing away and I don't need to worry. I can just focus on Jesus So imagine how you would feel in this moment if you're Bartimaeus. You've jumped up, you're really, really excited, and then you're walking towards Jesus. But what now goes through your head as you look at him? Are you excited? This is great, I'm going to get to talk to Jesus. Are you scared? What am I going to say now that I get to talk to Jesus? Uh, Why does he want me? You might even start to think, is this crowd playing a trick on me? Like, does Jesus actually want to talk to me? You might start to doubt. Well, you walk up to Jesus, and this is what he says to Bartimaeus. In verse 51, he asks this question, What do you want me to do for you? Teacher, the blind man answered, I I want to see again. Jesus asks this question, and he actually asks multiple times throughout Scripture. This is a common question that Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus doesn't push himself onto people. He doesn't make assumptions about what people want and where they're coming from. He always wants to connect what's happening inside of people and help them to understand what that looks like. To be able to say, what do you want? I'm not going to assume what you want. You tell me what it is that's on your heart. You tell me what it is that you want to say to me. Interestingly, in the passage that comes just before this, Jesus actually poses the same question to uh, to James and John, two of his disciples who have come to him with a very arrogant statement where they say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Takes a bit of pluck to come up to Jesus and say that. And so Jesus' response to them saying this really arrogant statement, we want you to do whatever we want you to do. Jesus says the same question. What do you want me to do for you? Their response is that they want power. They want status. They want to be on the left hand and the right hand side of Jesus when he moves up to heaven. They want to be in positions of authority, to have people looking at them and saying, oh, you guys must be really, really important. And Jesus now, just moments later really, poses this same question to Bartimaeus. And you can't help but wonder if James and John are kind of standing off to the side, (laughs) wondering about the answer that they gave to Jesus when they were posed this same question. But Bartimaeus' answer is quite simply, I want to see again. 
So, in verse 52, Jesus says, Go, your faith has made you well. And at once Bartimaeus was able to see, and he followed Jesus on the road. So this is a really crucial statement that we need to take some time to unpack today. Your faith has made you well. There's a number of things that we need to talk about. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And we've talked about faith before. Faith is simply trust. Faith in Jesus is trusting in Jesus, trusting that Jesus is who he says that he is, trusting that Jesus can do what he says that he can do, trusting that we are who we are because of what Jesus has done. And so Jesus starts by saying, Bartimaeus, it's your faith that's made you well. It's not because you got your act together enough. It's not because you came crawling to me. It's not because you made enough sacrifices. It's because of your trust in me that you have been made well. But Jesus says those words, you have been made well. He doesn't say your faith has made you see. He says your faith has made you well, which is actually a much more holistic statement. Those words made you well are probably more accurately translated as made you whole, made you completely free, made you completely healed. So we need to be really, really careful about this statement. Your faith has made you well because sadly in some streams of the church they've taken this and they've twisted it and manipulated it so that they believe that the opposite of this is true as well. That for some people they're not well because they don't have enough faith. Sadly, lots and lots of people have been significantly hurt because of that mindset. And it's simply not something that we believe is true at all. For us, we start by believing that healing is always granted to people 100% of the time. It's just that sometimes we don't experience that healing until we pass from this life into the next. But we do believe that for every single one of us, a time will come when we are fully healed, fully restored, fully healthy in every way possible. That when we pass from this life to the next, we don't take any of our ailments with us. We don't take any of our struggles with us. We are made completely whole. That happens for every single one of us. Some people are miraculously healed in this lifetime, and that's really, really exciting. Some people are miraculously healed because we have access to amazing medicine. And for people who are in the developing world, they look at some of the ways in which we're able to get well because of the medicine that we have, and they would see that as no less miraculous than someone who's just healed just like that. So some people are healed while they're here, and some people are healed when they cross from death into life. But healing is always granted for us. And a part of the reason why I thought that it was really, really helpful and important for us to hear Lynette's story today is because we don't in any way believe that God has not healed her, has not made her well because of her lack of faith. No way do we believe that in the slightest. As I said, I have been very, very inspired by the strength of her faith given the circumstances and the situation that she's in. We believe that faith is trust in Jesus, trusting that Jesus accepts us, trusting that Jesus loves us, trusting that Jesus wants the best for us 100% of the time, trusting that Jesus will heal us, but trusting that his timing is always perfect and always right. So we continue always to pray for healing as we've done today for those who are struggling in all sorts of different ways. But it is really important for us to pause and to recognise that people 
are not not healed because they don't have enough faith. Some people are healed because of their faith, but the opposite is not true. Bartimaeus, in our story, is healed. He is one of those fortunate ones who is healed miraculously in this moment. He regains his sight, and because of that, he chooses to follow Jesus. He doesn't go off on his own and say, great, I've got my sight back. Now I can go and do whatever I want. He says, because of this, Jesus, I want to continue to follow you. And that's Jesus' heart and Jesus' passion for every single one of us, that our faith, our trust in him would mean that regardless of our circumstances, we make a decision to say we're on the road with Jesus. We're journeying with him wherever it is that he takes us. So as we wrap up our message today and get ready to transition into a time of communion, I want to leave us with this question, which is the same question that Jesus asks. Our reflection question today is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Now, for some of us, we will have an instant reaction to that question being posed. For some of us, that reaction comes because we would say, I don't want to bother Jesus. He's got far more important things to worry about than my little needs. Like, that's not an important question for me to even think about. Jesus is doing his stuff, and he doesn't need to think about what's going on for me. Some of us may feel like, and this could be because we've had messages thrown at us like Bartimaeus did, that we're not important enough to answer this question. Jesus doesn't really care about what I want because Jesus has got way more important people that he should spend time with than me. But as we said earlier, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is focused on every single one of us. Right now, right here, Jesus does care what our answer is to this question. Jesus stops on the road and calls us over to ask us this question. And so as we begin to wrap up, I want to give you a moment to be able to do exactly that, to imagine what that interaction looks like. You have your teaching notes inside of Caring Connection, so if it's helpful, you may even want to write something down as your answer to this question. But I want to give us a moment to just be able to pause. If it's helpful to close your eyes, feel free to do that. And imagine yourself face-to-face with Jesus looking into his eyes, seeing his love for you, seeing his deep care for you in your situation right now, this morning. What is your response as Jesus gently says these words? What do you want me to do for you? So take some time, just a few moments, and if you want to jot something down, feel free, and then we'll wrap up. Whatever your answer is to that question, whether it's asking for healing, whether it's asking for provision, whether it's asking for direction, whether it's asking for just a greater sense of connection with him, or whether it's even asking for something for someone else, know that Jesus hears you. Jesus hears your answer to that question 
right now, right here. And he wants you to trust him, to put your trust in him, that he does hear you and he knows what's best for you. And that his desire out of that is that as we move into another week, your choice would be that you come alongside of him, that you follow him, that you go down the road with him. Because every day is an opportunity for us to get up and to be able to answer this question, to meet with Jesus as he asks us, what do you want me to do for you today? And to be able to then journey as he unpacks those answers with us. Let's pray and then we'll move into a time of communion. Jesus, we thank you for the miracle that this story is. The miracle, yes, that it is that Bartimaeus receives his sight. But in some ways, it's no less miraculous that you're able to stop in the midst of all of that noise, in the midst of all of that activity and in the midst of what's going on for you and to be able to turn your attention to one person who desperately wants to connect with you. We thank you that we know that's what your heart is like. And we thank you that you showed us that over and over again while you were here on earth. But we're grateful now that you are the risen King Jesus who is able to meet every single one of us where we're at. That we don't have to wait until you physically come to us because you are with us every moment of every day. And we thank you that you gently come to us with this question. What do you want me to do for you? And that you simply want us to be honest and to be real and to be vulnerable with you about what our answers are to that question. To be able to trust you, that you know us, that you love us, that you accept us, that you embrace us, that you want to provide for us, that you want us to depend on you. And so thank you that we can give these things to you this morning. Whatever our answer is to that question, we can hand it to you with a sense of confidence that you are the risen King Jesus. And so we pray that as we head into this week, you would continue to help us to rely on you, to increase our sense of dependence on you, and to know that you're with us as we walk our different roads. In your name we pray. Amen.